Welcome back in another edition of College Golf Talk. Perko and Brentley with you. We have returned from East Lake. We'll certainly dive into what we saw in Atlanta, in Atlanta over the past few days and some other college events as the fall season winds down. I hopped on a plane last night. I was in my house by 11 o'clock. I have a feeling for the man that wanted to <laughs> drive up there, you might be regretting the drive back. Uh, not exactly. Let's say 11 o'clock, I would have been probably just going over the Florida Georgia state line. So I got home around 150 and it wasn't too bad. You know, last year it was a little rough, had to stop in Gainesville, stay the night real quick and finish the drive in the morning, but it wasn't too bad. Just got a Red Bull, made it on one tank of gas, didn't have to stop, drove straight through, listened to a few podcasts. Called our co-worker, Kevin Casey, great researcher at Golf Channel. He made an hour and a half go by pretty quickly. Talked a little college golf and all sorts of stuff. And uh, not not much sleep, though, Virgo. So, so bear, bear with me. Um, well, I'm proud of you that you went straight through, that you just kept going, fight through it, get home, wake up in your own bed. I think that is highly underrated. Uh, being able to sleep uh, in your own house as much as we're on the road. So I will support you to get through this edition of College Golf Talk, which is always brought to you by Velocity Global as they seamlessly connect employers and talent, anyone, anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Its global work platform is built on cloud-based technology, compliance expertise, and unmatched scale in 185 countries in all 50 United States. The world of work, it is forever changed. Talent can live anywhere, work for anyone and get the job done. And more than 1,000 businesses engage top talent in another state or another country without the need to set up a foreign entity or registration. And they rely on Velocity Global to make it simple and compliant. Velocity Global, accelerating the future of work. If you'd like to learn more, visit velocityglobal.com slash golf. Three great days in East Lake, although a little chilly for my liking yesterday. Never got out of the high 50s. Um, let's start with the men. Vanderbilt, one of the two preseason favorites, ending the fall on a positive note. For me personally, I needed to see that. I needed to see them run through the tape, uh, and that's exactly what they did. So the fall at a conclusion for them at least does not change my narrative. They are one of the two best teams in the country. But are they the best? That's the question. Right now, maybe not the best, but it doesn't matter if you're the best in October. But I think so it, clearly North Carolina and Vanderbilt are in a different position than everyone else. I would throw Arizona State into that bucket. Maybe a, a distant uh, top-tier team. But I, I was really impressed by what I saw out of Arizona State. But getting back to Vanderbilt, it's worth noting that they were third in that 18-hole sprint um, that we call the stroke play portion of the Eastlake Cup. But the thing that impressed me the most is the fact that not only did they dominate Texas in the semifinals, but they also beat Arizona State in the final without Gordon Sargent and Cole Sherwood, their two first-team All-Americans, winning their matches. When you have Matthew Riedel, who – was one of three Commodores on this latest fall Haskins Award watch list. When you have him go out and beat Riggs Johnston, who had been playing pretty well this fall, seven and six, 
when you get that out of your fifth guy, I think Vanderbilt maybe coming into the fall had a little bit of a question mark out of that fifth spot, whereas North Carolina knew that Ryan Burnett slash Peter Fountain was probably the best five guy in the entire country. I think Vanderbilt's got to be feeling pretty good. And I said this last night, North Carolina on paper is probably the best team, but Vanderbilt to me has all the intangibles. When you look at having Gordon Sargent, who just hits it a mile. I mean, that match against Travis Vick, Burko, he was 25, 30 yards past him. And I was talking to some people and they thought that Gordon Sargent was the best driver of the golf ball pro or amateur. So better than John Rahm. Is that pretty crazy to think? Or It is, but we've seen it firsthand. You know, in stroke play, it was Summer Hayes, Vic, Mao, and Sargent. And every, someone came up to me the next day and said, well, we just saw four future tour players, and one of them's very different than the other three. <laughs> yeah, and, like, they just have so much going for them when you look at Scott Limbaugh and the fact that he is starting – decade number two there and the foundation that he's laid and just all the experience that they've had at the NCAA championship. They've been in match play the last two times. Gordon Sargent won an NCAA individual title last year there. It just seems like everything else, you know, the, how, how close they are, just, I mean, everything, right? I mean, I, I don't know what other intangibles there are, but I, I just think whatever they are, Vanderbilt's got pretty much all of them. Yeah, for Riedel to win like he did, you touched on it. It was his birthday. He, he turned 22 yesterday, so perfect way to celebrate. And the way William Mall fought back. I, I think those five are really, really good. But then you look at it, they're built for now. Three seniors, a junior, and a sophomore. Yeah, if you're if you're gonna If you're going to win, in, and you can say the same thing about North Carolina. They are built to win seven months from now. So, you, you know. If you're Andrew DiBattetto or Scott Limbaugh, you hope that's the case uh, at Greyhawk in May. But a good thing, you know, I talked to Scotty Limbaugh yesterday and you, you referenced, they finished third in stroke play. Okay, so be it. And he said he let his team have it. He's like, I'm okay when the results don't happen, but I'm not okay with sloppy golf. And he felt like Monday was a sloppy performance by his team. So whatever quick wake-up call he had, uh, the team responded, and it will be intriguing to watch both them in North Carolina into the spring. UNC winning the Williams Cup, they end the fall on a really positive note. But let's touch on Arizona State, as you said. Uh, sort of misleading when you look at Preston Summerhays is the only player back from the starting five at the national championships. But when you can fill in with Riggs Johnston, who came in third at Greyhawk in 2021 individually, Jose Ballester, who was the best player for Arizona State last spring until it just didn't work out at regionals and nationals. That's a nice way to bring two guys back into the fold. And then you throw in Luke Potter, one of the three or four best juniors in the country. Um, there's something there that I think needs to be refined a bit. But uh, to your point, maybe just a notch below those top two. Well, I think this freshman from Norway has been the most surprising just in terms of how good he's been I mean I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name because I've tried a few times I know you probably said it maybe, maybe about a dozen times my my Mayasa. my 
M-Y-A-W-E-S-E-T-H. From a Finnoic standpoint. Yeah. Apparently, he is like a 35-year-old trapped inside a 19-year-old's body. He's just very mature. He has great course management. Um, you know, Luke Potter gets all the headlines, but this is a kid who's going to be in the lineup moving forward pretty, pretty much every event, if not every event. Rick Johnson, yeah, he got you know, his teeth kicked in a little bit against Matthew Riedel, but a couple top fives this fall after not being a part of those postseason lineups. And when you're not even the sixth guy, when you're not even the sub that, that travels just up the road uh, to play a home national championship, that's got to really crush your confidence. And, you know, Riggs didn't really play that much in the summer. He actually went to Spain and hung out with uh, David Pouge for a, a couple months or a couple weeks and then spent a few more weeks in Italy with his girlfriend and her family. So just kind of got away from it a little bit. And I think that's been the, the reset that, that he's needed. And I remember I was asking Matt Sermon after the semifinals about Preston Summerhays and how is this, is this his team? Is, is he the guy who has now stepped up as the leader after David Pouge left early and you have Cameron Sisk and Mason Anderson no longer there? And he goes, well, you know, Preston is obviously a leader on this team, but, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want you to forget about Riggs. You know, Riggs is, is an important part of this team. He's been an important part of this team, whether, whether he's been playing well or not. And it just so happens that for the most part this fall, he has played well. So I like for big things out of him, that 63 that he shot at Greyhawk a couple of years ago was one of the best rounds of golf I think I've seen. Um, and so it should be fun to watch this team. They're, they're ranked second right now in golf stat, ahead of Vanderbilt, ahead of North Carolina. And they might have a, a huge chip on their shoulder too, because last year at Greyhawk, you, you want to win one for Scottsdale area, Tempe. And I think there's probably going to be most people counting them out. Just, just a guess. Well, maybe the third time is the charm for them in the spring. You threw out on a rundown Texas concerns, question mark. Um, yes and no. This is sort of what I thought would happen up and down fall campaign. Um, as John Fields, the head coach, told me at East Lake, my freshmen will become sophomores very quickly because they're going to learn. They're going to take, take their lumps. And you lose the cooties and, and, and Cole Hammer. It was, in my estimation, inevitable that they were going to have some very high highs and very low lows. Um, they better figure it out. And I'm not saying they will or they won't, but it was before we went on the other day, um, I said, if you get, if they get sent to the wrong regional five months from now, they might not make NCAs with the team I see now. I know that could change come the spring. Yeah. And I think it's just been, I, I, I pose this question, right? Because I, I think I am sounding the alarms a little bit on Texas. And the reason I say that is I think Keaton Vaux has proven so far in the few tournaments he's played that he has some massive potential in him. He's looked really good. Christian Moss, same thing. I just don't know if any other player on the lineup can look at the fall that they had and, and, and say that they accomplish what they want to accomplish. I mean, Mason Nome has struggled. Travis Vick, he's played well in match play for the most part. He's beaten Michael Thorburns and he's beaten Ludwig Aberg. Didn't beat Gordon, uh, Gordon Sargent in the semis this week, uh, 
but still um, has played well there, played well, obviously during the summer at the U.S. Open, low amateur. But it, but in his stroke play events, he just hasn't been the guy who's going to go out and win tournaments or finish top five. And for Texas to have a chance, no matter who they bring in these next couple months, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a, a early enrollee, you know, freshman Tommy Morrison coming in, if Travis Vick isn't winning golf tournaments and isn't finishing in the top 10, I, I don't think Texas gets out of a regional. Yeah, and the thing that stood out to me the most from uh, chatting with Coach Fields is he said, we have to learn how to overcome our success, which was interesting the way he sort of phrased it. It wasn't overcoming new faces, inexperience, lack of whatever. It was we, we have to learn how to overcome our success to move forward. So uh, it's a lot to live up to. It yeah, certainly, certainly is. And this is a different team. I mean, those freshmen didn't win that national title last year. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be uh, interesting to see how it plays out for them January, February, uh, and beyond. That's the men at Eastlake for the women, Auburn, Texas A&M in that final match. Uh, the cardiac kids are legit. We've seen Auburn rally at NCAA championships at regionals at Karsten Creek. You look at the lineup on the surface and maybe you say, unknown uh, what they just did the past two days I think they are fully known Casey Weidenfeld stepped up and delivered Megan Schofield the undoubted leader of that team Auburn's really good we keep saying who might be able to hang around with Stanford and, and Wake has always been front and center you could make the argument Auburn just has something about them especially in match play yeah, but they have to get to match play first, right? So that's the only concern I have is just them getting into that top eight or maybe digging themselves too big a hole, right? Because they have this, this trend of, of getting off to slow starts and having to really turn it on at the end. But this was a solid field. I mean, I know Stanford wasn't here. We didn't have Wake Forest. We didn't have the women's field that we had at the Stevens Cup a couple of weeks ago. But A&M is a very good team. Oregon is a very good team. UCLA can be a very good team, uh, but just hasn't shown it much this fall. I, I really like Auburn, though, and I, I feel like we just don't talk about them. I, I feel like they're always the, the underdog, but Melissa Llewellyn is an incredible coach, and she's an incredible motivator, and I was really impressed. You mentioned Casey Weidenfeld, and I was super impressed by what she did. I, I knew she was a good match club player because this summer, she made match play at, at three different events, the Women's North and South, the Women's Western, and the U.S. Women's Amateur. Won a couple of matches between those three tournaments. Uh, but if people didn't know who she was before this week, I, I think it was fair because she didn't play at all last year. She redshirted her freshman year. She, uh, I was talking to her yesterday. She said she got COVID-19 four days in, into her first semester on campus. Didn't play golf really for three months after that. It really hit her hard. Wasn't herself until about mid-March. Just had all sorts of things going wrong. And um, so for her to be able to, to get through that and become a player who Coach Llewellyn could put anywhere. I mean, she played the anchor match in the semifinal, right? And then she goes lead off and wins both. Or maybe she was in the – was she in the anchor match against yeah. Uh, Cynthia Yeah, Lou? she was anchor against Cynthia Lou, and then she let it off. She showed she can be a – 
tone setter or someone that is dependable on the backside and, of things. So she, she wowed me in a very, very good way. And extra holes and, and stepping up on that 15th tee box, which is one scary shot. And uh, uh, to be able to beat a first team, second team, all American type player in Cynthia Liu, that, I mean, that's, that's huge for her confidence. And um, I, I thought yesterday's win by Auburn was, was just a really cool win. When you look at how close that team is and, They've played in the East League Cup a couple times. They haven't really had their best showings. I think they've had some disappointing falls the past couple of years. Uh, but but this was really cool, and especially considering that Melissa Llewellyn's mom, who is the legendary golf coach, Dale McNamara, who won four national championships at Tulsa. Melissa was a senior on that, that very first NCAA championship that Tulsa won in 1988. She... Uh, was admitted to the hospital the night before the final. Uh, they had the obby with the vest strapped to the golf cart that she had sewed for them just to kind of keep her top of mind. And, um, you know, as, as Melissa said yesterday, you know, she hoped that that win gave her mom something to, to smile about because, you know, it's a tough time for her. She's 86 years old. And, um, you know, as, as a golf coach and having your daughter, win a national championship too as a coach at Arizona State and seeing all the success that she's having right now I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that that she had a smile on her face yesterday yeah our thoughts uh to Melissa and Dale and everyone uh going through some tough times uh for sure but kudos to Auburn I think A&M still very solid team Gary Chadwell in the second year building something and as you said Oregon's right there and UCLA has the potential uh, to be special. So a, a fun three days, the eighth edition. Crazy to think that we've been up there for almost a decade, but some other good men's events over the past few days down the road uh, from us here in uh, Central Florida, Auburn winning at Iowa. Florida made a charge, but um, Auburn also making a really big statement. Of, like the women, the men, maybe we are missing something, but they could be really good. Are they the quietest number one team in the country? I was looking at the men's rankings yesterday and they were at number one after they updated after Isleworth and a bit surprised, but John Marshall Butler, the, the big question was, could he build off of that breakout season a year ago? I think he's answered that. Brendan Valdez, sophomore year, um, had some good rounds last year. He's a, he's a guy who can go out and make a bunch of bogeys. Alex Vogel song to their, proven leader Ryan Eichelman almost shot 59 this fall so they're they're a very solid team they're well coached coach Clenard and um, I, I still think the women are better um, than than the men they've certainly had more success the last few years but very impressed um, Illinois another solid third place finish Mike Small's group I think is going to make match play this year but Burko I, I gotta ask what is wrong with Ricky Castillo T61 yeah, they're, they're playing well in spite of his struggles. Um, hard to figure out. You know, he plays so well during the summer. And Florida will need him and need him to play well uh, if they're going to do anything in the postseason. I mean, you can look at the positives, that they were in the mix without Ricky really contributing. Um, but if he doesn't figure it out, um, I can't really see a way that you can put them in those five, six, seven teams in the country that have a chance to win it all. Uh, maybe he can change it 
flip the script a little bit come the spring because the Gators will need them. I know the rankings say Auburn's number one. I'll I'll pass on that thought. They're a very good team, but they're they're a two <laughs> team put it, put it much nice better than I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree. Good good one at the golf club of Georgia, Stanford finding a way to win again. Pepperdine second played that par five 18th a couple over. They played even par, they win. Um, so it was a wild week for, for Pepperdine, but how about Conrad Ray? I mean, what they've done in the fall with seemingly on paper, two really good players and the rest of the guys sort of doing what they need to do, sort of their supporting cast. Um, they usually take flight in the spring. It's always in years past that, that Stanford struggles in the fall for whatever reason. And if this is a sign of things to come, watch out. Maybe Thorby Ornson and Billups can, can sort of drag everyone else along the way. Yeah, and they've, they've gotten arguably their, the, the best performances aside from Michael out of Ethan Inc., their senior. And that was one of the, the keys for Conrad Ray when I spoke to him before the season started if he's like if we can just get something out of Nate Menon, Ethan Ng, Alex Yang, that group we're going to be pretty good and I, I I think Barclay Brown might might take a little bit of uh, exception to you calling him a role player but um you know what I mean though he's like a walker cup he's pretty yeah 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 I, I, Carl, I mean and Michael. no disrespect to any of them they're not first second team all American and there's nothing wrong with that I'm a big believer national championships are one at the back end of the lineup and not the front I mean Tom that, Brady wasn't the wasn't the first team uh first team guy no that's you know you can have all the superstars you want you better have people in the four and five to get it done so I own it I'll fine-tune it for him but um <laughs> you know they, they all count the same and it really is uh, remarkable, but I know you were also pretty uh, pleased with who won the individual title there. Hiroshi Tai, the redshirt freshman from Georgia Tech. This guy was part of the class of it was the class of 2021, Burko, and that was when we had our last signing day show, actually in the Orlando studios. We had Cannon Clay come in, um, who was signing with Alabama that year. But the big story, I thought, was Hiroshi Tai and. He's from Singapore, like James Liao, who played at, uh, at Arizona State the last handful of years. He, he, he needed to fulfill his 22-month national service, and he opted to do that right after high school, as, just as James did. Um, they're pretty close. They're friends. And so he barely played golf for 22 months and serves the service, completes that, discharged, and rolls at Georgia Tech. Um, in January, doesn't play last spring. You look at this roster that the Yellow Jackets have with Ross Steelman and Crystal Lamprecht, and I didn't think there was any room for someone to play their way in, to be honest with you. And talking with their head coach, Bruce Hepler, he didn't say this, but it didn't sound like that way to him either. You know, he, he knew he had a pretty good top five, some good players after that, but I, I think everyone thought that it was just going to be a, a closed shot for much of the season, but Hiroshi gets his way into the lineup and he went to the individual title. I mean, this is a guy who 22 months away from the game delays his college career and goes out and wins a golf tournament. 
I, I just think that's, that's the coolest thing. And their lineup didn't, they didn't have Ross Steelman. They didn't have Ben Reuter. Andy Mao played the fifth spot. He's another guy who we've kind of forgotten about. Georgia tech might be deeper than we thought. They are. And sort of another team built to finally win a national championship. If they can, uh, put it all together at Greyhawks. So, I mean, it, it, it's a nice end to this fall with, with some of the uh, events being played with some of the stories you share, you know, I drop a little knowledge once in a while here and there. So uh, sort of gets us excited for what what's on tap in 2023 for the women. Stanford had their home event. I will be the first to admit I was wrong about the Stanford B team. I think I said, they're going to finish in the top five or six. They finished 17th, so a testament to how good the field was, and I overestimated. Just a bit off. Just a bit yeah, off. 10 spots, 12 spots. Uh, other side of the equation, Stanford rolls, so does Rosang. Um, they'll head to Denea this weekend, Hawaii, and I see zero reason why they won't have another perfect fall. And I expect Rosang to win again. I think she was a little, uh, maybe a little irked that, Everyone was making such a big deal about that T12 at Seminole being her worst college finish. I think she set the record straight, got back in the winner's circle. Uh, probably another uh, disappointing week for Rachel Hack, T22. I think I thought she looked really good at Seminole. I thought this was going to be maybe floodgates open, but she'll figure it out. Um, Mega Gane, T31. So there's some things that they can clean up, but still, I mean, best team in the country, I think wakes right up there um i i can't wait to see them play again because i think everyone else is just playing for third well you'll have to wait till greyhawk is last week was the only time or two weeks ago at seminole the only time is it cross fast yep well stanford you know stanford doesn't travel much to play uh, if you look at their their schedule they're very regional um they don't play you know every event isn't that it isn't a elite A plus field. Um, they don't run the gauntlet like some of these teams do, um, but it works. I mean, you can't you can't argue with what Ann Walker's been able to produce. But I, that that would be my one gripe is that I, I just wish Stanford would would get over to the East Coast a little bit more um, each year and 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 play some of those teams, play a Wake Forest, play some of the SEC schools. So. One gripe, small gripe, uh, but Stanford's really good. And you mentioned the Stanford B team, right? Well, we forgot to mention, and I forgot to mention, Georgia Tech B team fifth at the Golf Club of Georgia. So uh, Georgia Tech's B team gets the gets the B team of the week this week. They beat Virginia, Texas A&M, Washington, Wake Forest. Um, so hats off to Wake Forest, or hats off to Georgia Tech. PGA Tour U, year number three potential changes give us the 60 second summary of what we might be seeing uh very soon here in the future yeah so two proposals that are going to be in the hands of the policy policy board in the beginning of november i think it's the first week the first big thing is that the number one player in pga tour u starting with this season if it gets approved is going to earn their pga tour card for the remainder of the season so you're looking at early June to the end of July, early August before the playoffs, maybe 10 to 12 starts 
you know, I, I don't know what, what these elevated events are going to do. I don't know how the schedule is going to look after that um, in, in the years to come. But as of right now, probably about 10 to 12 starts that, that they'll get. Is that enough? I, I don't know. But the second proposal is something that I think was more surprising. I think a lot of people expected at least one PGA Tour card to be handed out at some point soon. But the second thing is for underclassmen, and I like to call it the, the Gordon Sargent role because uh, this is, he's the type of player that the PGA Tour is hoping to, to keep you know, from going to a competitor. And so this underclassman proposition would be if you meet certain benchmarks, um, whether it's world amateur golf ranking or winning big events, big amateur events are, are also there. So you win the U.S. Amateur um, from what I know, from what was in the PGA Tour player green sheet. So you meet all these benchmarks. If you, I think it's going to be a point system that, that would make the most sense. If you meet a certain threshold, then you earn a PGA Tour card at the end of that season. So you could be a freshman and you could go out and, and play really well and win the USAM and make a couple PGA Tour cuts, reach number one in the world amateur rankings. And then all of a sudden you're a freshman, you, you have a PGA Tour card waiting for you at the end of your freshman year. I, I know some people like, well, this is PGA Tour University, right? Like they want to keep guys in school. That was the whole point of the initial program. Well, from what I've been told, this is the second thing is going to be something that rarely comes into play. I think it was three players in the last 12 years since 2010 would have satisfied this criteria. So knowing that, knowing that we've had more than three really great players in college, whether you look at John Rahm and Spieth and JT and Cantley and Patrick Rogers and Mav McNeely. So you're going to have to be really good. So this is something that second thing I don't think is going to come into play too often, but maybe for a player like a Gordon Sargent um, who wins an NCAA individual title, does some other good things. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to get your thoughts. I, I think that this is another great step in the right direction. I know some people will say, well, they only get a PGA Tour card for two months and then they're kind of back where they normally would have been. But I, I think it's a good thing because I don't think this is the last step. I think it's only going to continue to be better. I think you're going to, at some point, they're going to need to probably offer some signing bonuses to some of these guys. And, um, but, you know, this is a step in the right direction, right? And I'm interested and kind of excited to see where it goes. Yeah, you you need to find a way to incentivize the stars of tomorrow and do it today. I'm with you. I think it's just the beginning. Um, I said it on golf today earlier this week. Eugenio Shikara leaving, going to live was the worst thing that could happen in the PGA Tour and the best thing all in one. You don't want to lose one of the best college and amateur players in the world to another entity. But him doing that, winning, making millions, whether it's reactionary or not, I call it a very good thing because you now have to change. You now have to do everything in your power to make the kids want to stay here. Because I've always thought, you know, when one goes, then two goes. And, yeah, can't project how it would end up, but I think it's a good thing and another way for people to say, you know what? My, my path is right here going through the PGA Tour. So uh, smart move by them to sort of fast track this if it gets there. 
Yeah, and some people are, are still going to choose to go, right? I mean, the, sure. for some people, the price tag is still going to be there. But I think what this does is it gives the players a decision to make. And because when you look at Eugenio Shikara, his decision was, all right, I accept this $8 million signing bonus. I go play live. I get to play with my mentor, Sergio Garcia, or you know, I go play on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is something I, you know, don't want to do because he kind of viewed himself. I mean, he said it. He, he's a top 30 player on tour, you know, and he said that early in the season last season when he played the Sanders and Farm. So a guy like that, um, you know, that's an easy decision for him. But when you say, all right, it's either live or you got a PGA Tour card that's a little bit different decision. And I think that changes some guys' minds, even if the money is, is different. So um, it's a thought. And not to get into the minutia of it, but people that made the jump lost their PGA tour card status, et cetera. You get kids out of college. They're not PGA tour members. They don't have to give up anything in that regard. So who knows? Uh, Halloween, couple days away. I know you wanted to have some fun, some Halloween costumes out there for maybe some of the top players, golf fans. Give, give, give me something to end this one on. <laughs> I mean, th- this could end up getting pretty silly, but um, you could put on a, an army costume and a, a race car driver helmet, and you could be Gordon Sargent, you know, the race car driver, Jeff Gordon, Sargent. Um, you know, put, put on just sunglasses and look really cool. You could be Tommy cool. You could dress up as, as any of the college golf coaches. I mean, you could put on a Tommy Bahama shirt and flip flops and you can go as John Fields. You can drive around in a Corvette (laughs) too. Um, that, that, that would be pretty good. One of those little, uh, Fisher price or little tight Corvettes. Um, you could, uh, who's the coach that carries the walkie talkies Shauna assist Taylor from Arkansas. You can carry around some walkie talkies and, and uh, go with Shauna. Um, You could, you could start working out and for about two years, you know, kind of look ahead to Halloween 2025 and you can go as Brad McMakin, the Arkansas men's coach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You could go as a Christmas tree and you could be Chris Moss, the freshman from Texas. Oh, all right, see, you got me going there. And then we were talking about Austin Greaser. And I said, well, I'm thinking Fonzie because I'm that old. Put there on the leather go. jacket, slick back the hair and see what the grease has got. You could go as a, uh, a glass of grape juice. You could be Patrick Welch. Ooh, oh, someone's put some time into this on that six hour drive home. You, you could go as a lamp. You could be Christo Lamprecht, but like a really tall lamp, like 10 feet tall. You know what? You I mean, might the, be on to something the, the here, The possibilities, possibilities are endless. And not to mention, we didn't even really look on the women's side. You could just go as Rose. You know, it's the, it, the, the like, oh, you're a, you're a Rose. No, I'm the best, best women's amateur golfer in the world. Right. And just remember, candy corn is, is super. Most people don't like it. Uh, you know. Eh. Yeah, no. right. What are you going to do? Uh, if it's fresh, is- which it never is. Yeah. A lot of fun as always. Glad you got home safely. Good to spend some time in Atlanta and we'll wrap it up next week. Sort of put a button on the fall, a couple more events to talk about and sort of 
wrap it up, maybe reassess some thoughts we had from September moving into 2023. So uh, again, it'll be a, a lot of fun. As always, we thank you for tuning in. And until next time, for Brett Leon Burka, we'll see you right here on College Golf Talk.